Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Looking to throw over the middle and into the end zone. Touchdown, Arizona State. We support each other's uh, teams the rest of the year, but during this game, all bets are off. That was all Keaton Slovis. Wow, what a play by him. One man to beat 15, 10, 5. Touchdown, a new NCAA record. Dante Pettis. Washington State has found a way to move the ball. It's incredible what we're seeing here in Pullman tonight. Touchdown, Oregon. They fake the handoff. Justin Herbert delivers a dart. I went to HR several times uh, about how the Duck fans treat me. Touchdown, Utah. I mean, this is the Pac-12 we're talking about. It's Believe in the Pac-12 on the Believe Podcast Network. It is a Thursday afternoon here on the West Coast. And as I live and breathe, as I bring us in onto the open, I get the official notification that Oregon, Washington has indeed officially, as of 3 o'clock on the Pacific Coast here on Thursday, been canceled. And I guess we'll start there. Welcome, everybody, along with college football analyst Ryan Leaf. My name is Jonathan Rifkin. Delighted to be with you. And, Ryan, I guess we might as well just start with that. No Washington. Oregon this week. Uh, this was a game that Oregon was very much looking forward to because every year, whenever Oregon has a down year, they always say, well, at least go out and beat the Huskies. It's not going to happen this year. Um, and that really muddies up the North. What are your thoughts on this game being canceled? Well, it, it does. It, it, it doesn't muddy it up uh, as of now. As of now, Washington is the North champion because of a cancellation. Their winning percentage uh, is better than Oregon's, even though Oregon has played every one of This is the first game Oregon will have canceled. I wouldn't be surprised if Oregon went out and tried to find a non-conference opponent so they could get a game in because they need to continue. They need to improve. And, uh, and, and Oregon also has the possibility of, uh, of playing in the Pac-12 championship still because uh, after making this determination now, uh, the quarantine and the isolation uh, CDC rules within the Pac-12 say that you know, most likely Washington won't be ready to play and field the team by next Friday night when the Pac-12 championship is supposed to take place. If that were the case, uh, it would go to the runner-up as of right now, which is uh, the Oregon Ducks. So that may open the, the floodgates for the Pac-12 to make a different decision. Uh, and if Colorado were to win this week against Utah, we'll talk about that a little bit later, uh, maybe that game then gets played for the Pac-12 championship. We'll wait and see. But as of right now, Washington is the Pac-12 North division champion and will represent the Pac-12 in the conference championship uh, as of our show right now. Yeah, I mean, the, the logistics, nobody's going to be happy at the end of the day. The Pac-12 came out last week, said we are not going to replace a North team with Colorado should Colorado and USC be the lone undefeated teams left in the conference. Um, and so – We'll see if they backtrack. We'll see if Colorado makes a stronger push after this week, depending on the outcome of their game, like you alluded to, Ryan. 
um, to try and get Larry Scott and the decision makers at the top of the conference to maybe backtrack on their original statement to, uh, to allow them to play in that championship game. Because we all know that Colorado, they're deserving of some more national attention. We'll get to some of that national attention that they are about to get this week here in just a moment. But as we like to do here on Believe in the Pac-12, we're going to start chronologically. There were two games on Friday, Colorado-Utah being that Friday game, the secondary Friday game. That got moved to Saturday, Fox Big Noon kickoff. Big game for Colorado where Joel Klatt is going to make a return to Boulder where he played quarterback for three seasons. Also played some baseball there back uh, in the early 2000s. But on Friday, there is a game, Arizona State at Arizona. It's an 0-2 team. Versus an 0-4 team. 0-6 for the state of Arizona so far in Pac-12 football. Is Grant Cannell going to play so far? Signs pointing to maybe. Arizona State needs to get back on track. Ryan, for you, 11.5 point spread. It's a tough one. This is a tough one. What do you think about this game? Well, I think that it uh, it's exactly right. Uh, you know, 0-6. Uh, the state of Arizona hasn't represented as well as they they could have, I think. I think if Grant Gannell doesn't get hurt, it may be a, a different story. UCLA game last week could have been a little different. They should have had a win over USC. Uh, they're kicking themselves with that one. But Arizona State was supposed to be our surprise. But during COVID, uh, the infection rate jumped up high. They lost three consecutive games after that near miss versus USC in week one. So the two teams that have played USC the best, uh, Arizona and Arizona State, get their chance to prove which one's better. Um, 11 and a half points is a lot. Uh, I don't care who you are. In a rivalry game, uh, you just can't, you can't have it. Um, I think Arizona State improves, and I, I, I believe they find a way to win this game because I just think they're more talented. Um, but I, I don't think they can cover the 11 and a half. So I got Arizona plus the 11 and a half. But I will say this, too, about Arizona. We've talked about Kevin Sumlin and the fact they've lost so many consecutive Pac-12 games. But this team, to me, has fought. He's lost so many players and opt-outs that have gone to other places to play. Colin Schooler being one of them, the best defensive player he had probably on the team. Yet they continue to fight and fight and fight for him. And that has to say a lot to their athletic director and what could happen in 2021. So I don't think there will be a chance that Kevin Sumlin isn't with this team next year and he gets to put together – uh, a finishing touch on his fourth year to see what he can make of it. Of course, Arizona, the longest tenured Power 5 team to not have won a game. It's been over uh, close, somewhere close to 400 and some days since they won their last football game um, going back to 2019. I agree with you, though, Ryan. I think ASU, they probably come out a little bit flat, but and, and we're seeing the growing pains with this young wide receiving core um, with Jaden Daniels in a second stint his second season with this team um, in the defense. I don't know. I don't know what to make of the defense right now, but I think that Arizona does cover as well. I'm with you. Um, I think ASU ekes it out, something like a touchdown, but I, I think 11 and a half uh, is just a little bit too much. So let's move to Saturday. I have a question for you. Utah, Colorado was originally, originally playing Friday afternoon. The 9 a.m. start for this team is very beneficial because they're on Fox. This is a game that's going to get a lot of eyeballs. Um, and for a Colorado team that's 21st right now in the rankings, an opportunity to get some more recognition from some eyeballs that haven't been necessarily watching them to this, to, watching them to this point in the season. Would you – let me put it this way. Are you happier that they get that 9 a.m. Pacific Coast slot on big new kickoff on Fox? Or do you think – 
that for these athletes, it was more beneficial to be playing on a Friday afternoon. Definitely more beneficial to play on Saturday. Uh, luck, for them, too, it, it's a mountain time zone for them, so it'll be a 10 a.m. kickoff for them. Still the earliest game ever, ever in the history of Colorado football at Folsom Field. So uh, it should be quite interesting. Like you said, big noon kickoff. You get the lead-in to the big game. You get Joe Klatt, Gus Johnson, Jenny Taft on the call. Every eyeball like is going to be on it. And we're going to see an undefeated Colorado team ranked 21st in the country by the College Football Playoff Committee. And they're going to get a chance uh, to show everybody that they are who they are, say they are. And the worst possible thing that could happen is that Utah is uh, similar to what they were last right. year and are more physical and, and get it done defensively. I don't think so. I think what Carl Durrell has in place and, and really what Mel Tucker put in place a year ago has translated into this team staying together. And uh, the c continuity of, of Darren Cheverini sticking around through the three administrations, through Mike McIntyre to Mel Tucker, and now with Carl Durrell calling the plays again offensively has made a big difference for Sam Neuer, who last week only had to throw for 96 yards and win because they ran for 400 plus. So they do what they need to do. However they need to win, uh, they're going to figure out a way to do it. And I think they keep the hot streak alive. I think they cover the two-point difference. Both big games of undefeateds this week are really marginal um, point spreads. Therefore, kind of a pick em game. And so I got Colorado minus two to go 5-0 and oh and put the Pac-12 conference on notice to do something special and make this a conference championship or to push it back and let the two play so we have a real conference championship when it's said and done. Yeah, you and I are in agreement. Um, I think that Jared Broussard is going to have another big game with the national spotlight. I mean, the, the pieces are in place for these guys. Like you said, alluded to Sam Neuer. He has 64 completions for 742 yards this season. So when you talk about his yards per completion, uh, they're, they're abundant. And same with Jack Broussard, only 115 carries, but 733 yards. I mean, these guys are moving the ball with force when they are completing passes and breaking through the, those gaps and running the ball effectively. So I expect to see an explosive Colorado offense. I agree. I think that there's a chance um, that Utah could maybe show signs of life alluding to last season, but I just think they're still too young defensively. Um, the quarterback situation, it is what it is with them. Um, and Colorado, as primed as they are, is going gonna, is gonna to win this football game by far more than that two-point spread. I think they're going to win by something like 10 to 14 uh, on national TV, on Fox Big Noon with Gus and Joel. Um, and so you and I are definitely in agreement on that game. Okay, so it was 1 o'clock for Oregon-Washington. That game, as I mentioned to open the show, got canceled. Um, I, I, I don't even know who I would have taken in this game. Oregon was a six-point favorite. I think I liked Washington because they ran the ball a lot better and Oregon's run defense has been really bad. Um, so if that game were to have been played, I probably would have taken Washington to cover the six point spread. I'm curious what your thoughts were prior to that game getting canceled. Yeah, I, I probably had the same kind of thought. I, I, I felt like Washington uh, had a better chance. I don't, I don't necessarily know why. Um, I think they're both pretty equivalent in terms of, how they've played, where they've struggled, where they need to improve. Uh, a lot of unknowns still with Washington, uh, even more so uh, with Oregon. So that would have kind of been a pick em game. I, I probably would have taken Oregon plus the six or uh, Washington plus the six simply because either, could, either team could win, but I, I think it would be by a field goal. Yeah, I agree. Um, just for point of note here, a lot of people were talking about 
Uh, a couple of teams that were off this week, Bowling Green, Kansas, because their game got canceled against Texas. Oklahoma had their game canceled, so people were saying Oregon-Oklahoma would be a fun game. It's too soon, I think, for a Saturday game to be picked, and I also don't think that this team is that motivated to figure out how to get a cross-country team to play them like BYU was, it was motivated last week for Coastal Carolina because there was a lot more to play for in that game than Oregon has to play for with a three and two record. So looks like oh, the Ducks I think, are- I think, I think it's, it's very much a possibility still. And uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we hear something in the next 24 hours that we get a Sunday game um, between the likes of Oklahoma and, and a Pac-12 school in, in this moment, just because Oklahoma came out and flatly said uh, when the offer was presented to play Ohio State, this weekend, uh, Oklahoma said immediately, well, Lincoln Riley said, we'll play, we'll play. And so I think they're open to that. Just depends on if, uh, if it can be done this quickly. I don't know. We're at, you know, we're at six o'clock Eastern on, on Thursday night. That that's, that's a, a little bit of a problem. Uh, if Oregon and Washington could have been called, uh, you know, a day ago when, when they closed up shop in Seattle and made it, made it more advantageous for, for these two teams, but Hey, you know, who knows? It would be wonderful to see something like that. It really would. I would have loved to see an Oregon-Ohio State game like we all wanted to when the original schedule was dropped before coronavirus, though. Man, I would not want to see my Ducks get slaughtered by what has been a very, very good Bucks defense – or offense, rather, um, this season. All right, so 430, we have USC-UCLA, the historic rivalry, and perhaps the most competitive game between these two schools in recent memory. Chip Kelly is first time ever at UCLA being over 500 at three and two USC, of course, four and oh, I guess their one dominant win last week was enough to convince people that they're a good football team because they're 15th now in the college football playoff committee rankings. They have a two and a half point spread. Um, UCLA has been very good on the lines, but USC doesn't really run the ball. So I think that USC's offense is going to give them fits. And I have USC covering that two and a half point. I actually think USC is probably going to win by seven to 10 points. Uh, but UCLA with, with the dynamic running of Demetric Felton, we'll see if he's fully healthy this game. Um, I, they'll put some points up, but I don't think that they're, they're going to win this game or even cover the spread. Well, first off, there's no reason why Colorado is behind USC in the college football playoff rankings. They have played better opponents with more wins uh, and, and done a better job. They were never, they were never, um, close to losing any of those games. People might say UCLA came back and made it close. Yeah, but they weren't, they weren't close to losing it. They needed onside kicks to get back in the game. Same with Stanford. Stanford had to go for an onside kick to try to line up for a, a final score too. So Colorado's been much more impressive with their body of work than USC has. But USC is the brand. And this committee continues to tell us over and over that you know brands matter to them. It may not be... Uh, the party line, but inside that room, they care. And so uh, the fact that they moved up to 15 gives the Pac-12 that shot, that 0.000001% chance we talked about in our last podcast is available. And I think the worst thing that could happen is if they don't, the Pac-12 that is, the, the athletic directors and the teams throughout the conference don't make this Colorado-USC game happen. Because I'd hate to see the committee sitting there on Selection Sunday saying with a 6-0 USC team that uh, is a Pac-12 champion when you have a 6-0 Ohio State team as a Big Ten champion and hear them say to everybody that we really like USC. 
We've moved them up to number six in the country after their two dominating wins over UCLA and then whoever they play in the conference championship. Uh, to look everybody in the eye and say, the only problem is on their resume, they did not have a top 25 win. And they actually had a undefeated top 25 opponent available to them to play. And if the conference watches that play out in real time and then looks at each other in the face and goes, what have we done again? We talk about egg on the face. That would be the ultimate. So they're going to have to remedy that some way, shape, or form because that cannot be the reason why they don't get in. Because if chalk holds, if Alabama beats Florida and Notre Dame beats Clemson, the one team that can hold them out is Texas A&M or Cincinnati. But I still don't think they put a, a group of five team in the final four. So the thir third and fourth spots are available for conference champions that don't have two losses. Explain to me the mindset, Ryan, why the Pac-12, like they came out and they said last week, we are not going to now, obviously circumstances have now changed up to this point, but they said, we are not going to put Colorado in, in that spot in the North, but why, right? You want your two best teams to represent the conference. I understand that there are these pre predetermined stipulations, but the, but the big 10 said, Oh, a, a fewer than six win or a six win Ohio state team is now allowed to go in the big 10 championship, right? Why can't the back 12 invest in a decision that serves the best interest for the conference as a whole? Is it because of the leadership and they just lack that kind of response? Like what's, what's the mindset with this decision? Well, it surprises me a little bit because they've been rather flexi flexible and open-minded more so than, other conferences early because they've changed their mind twice already this year, right? They, they said they weren't going to play in August and they changed their mind and they decided we're going to play in November. And then they changed their mind again when they said they weren't going to allow non-conference games when opponents needed them and they changed that. So they've shown that flexibility. So it wouldn't surprise me if they ultimately do it. I wish they would have done it this weekend because then we could have got a straightforward South division champion to play a North division champion like they want like every other conference is doing, they're playing their divisional champions. Uh, ACC went to a full, uh, a, a full roster, not, not divisions this year because they brought in Notre Dame and, and have made it a uh, bigger question about that. And I've had this, what, what if, what if Notre Dame or Clemson has some, some positive tests here in the next week and this, this game isn't played? Uh, I, I mean, they both get in, right? Do they both get the yeah, benefit they of both, the doubt? They both get in, right? Yeah. So then that, so COVID in this situation could actually help out uh, the ACC getting two teams in the conversation. They, I mean, if Notre Dame were to lose, they'd probably get two teams in as well. But, but you know, it, it's, it's been absolutely interesting. This goes back to what we talked about last time and what, what I absolutely gave to the, the committee on, on Tuesday night when I was on ESPNU when the rankings came out. They are going to set a very dangerous precedent by – allowing Ohio State in and not it's not Ohio State's fault not at all they played who they had to play they played as many games as they could play this is on the committee and if they put them in and not expand this playoff for one year they're going to do irreparable damage because I'm telling you right now if Ohio State sees this if let's say Texas sees this let's say uh, USC sees this and they know they only have to play six games to be considered for the college football playoff where everybody else is slugging it out for 10, 12 games. What stops them from saying, Hey, we're, we're out of this conferences. We're out of the big 12. We're out of the PAC 12. We're out of the big 10. We're going to be independents and we're going to schedule tough six tough football games. And that's enough. It really is something that could play out and could happen. Now it's, it's, it's a long shot, but they're saying that 
six games is enough to put them in over teams that have had nine, 10, 11 games played. And that's not right. And so what the committee needs to do on next Tuesday night, when they reveal the rankings before the championship weekend, they need to tell everybody in the audience that we're moving to eight teams this year. We've made a change. We've taken a look. Every other sporting world in the United States, pro football, major league baseball, basketball, everything has changed. They've all changed their end game. The NFL has gone and added another team to the playoff. The NBA went to a bubble and finished their season. Major League Baseball bubbled cities where they would play the NLCS, the ALCS, and the World Series. They've made changes everywhere else except in college football. Why is that? Because there's no one overseeing it all. There's no czar. There's just five heads of the family that are, you know, inmates running the asylum. And that's what's made it problematic. And the committee does not know what to do. They've been rigid as hell not to change things. First, by not moving the, the college football playoff national semifinals from January 1st to meeting in person. This is something they need to do. And if they don't, they're going to lose so much credibility from people out there that will just look at it as if you are a brand, if you wave the right flag, it doesn't matter. You're getting in. All right, here's one for you then. If, if they don't expand, they face the backlash, Ohio State gets in. What if Ohio State wins it all? What if they go that's and they? The, that's not. The, that's not the issue. That's that's not the issue. But I they can sit there and say, "See, we. Did, it doesn't matter that they only played six games. They were the best team in the country, right? They have that. That there, the hindsight backs up the credible the credibility of the decision no, that they made. They lose all credibility because it doesn't matter then. The regular season doesn't matter then. They're saying it flat out. We do not care if we believe that is the best team in the country and they've played one game. They're getting in. This, this Ohio State team has proven they could go on the road late in the year against Iowa, against Purdue, and lose by 29 and 31 points respectively, okay? That's happened. It's something to be said to have to play the games. I don't care who you are. You have to go play the games, all right? What if Texas A&M, through the round robin of, of, of scheduling, didn't have Alabama this year, and they were undefeated right now? So it's important that you have to go play these, these games. Uh, otherwise... Um, there's no point in it. And, and if anything, this may force them to expand early, which I think is a mistake. I think if you, if everything's equal, if you're playing 11, 12 games everywhere else, you can make a good decision when you're picking the final four, but not when you have to compare a team that's played 11 games to a team that's played six games. It's just, it's just not a fair comparison and it's not fair to, for everybody out there playing. And that's on the committee. That's completely on the committee and no one else. I will say that the, an example of what you're saying is actually happening right now in college basketball. As of today, Duke announced that they will be playing no more non-conference games and that they will only be playing conference games for the rest of the college basketball season because they realize that, number one, they, they, all they need are their conference games, and number two, there's no point in risking anything else because they're Duke and they're a powerhouse, and the NCAA at the end of the day protects the investments in the teams that are most equitable in basketball. It's Duke and football. It's Alabama. It's Clemson. It's Ohio state. And then you have your round Robin fourth, fifth, five, six, seven teams that are all equitable for the NCAA in football. Um, and, and I think that that sort of scares me, right? Like if a team makes a decision, exactly what you're saying is happening in another sport, but in the college realm with the same oversight, there's no reason that it may not happen in football. So I think that's a really interesting point. Um, and I guess we'll see what happens on Tuesday. I'm, everybody tune in and listen to Ryan Leaf when the committee talks on Tuesday because I'm sure he's going to express some very strong opinions based on what they decide to discuss and release. Um, speaking of, all right, so the one team 
in the top 15 in the committee's eyes, USC, UCLA. I alluded to it. I think USC is probably in a position, especially with the air raid, UCLA, they, they've done a very good job stopping the run, not so much to pass. I don't know if they have the offensive talent to, to run with USC. So I do think USC pulls this thing out by over two and a half. And then everybody once again says, oh, two straight weeks of great USC football. We're falling in love with USC football, make them a top eight team. And maybe we see them squeak in depending on what happens uh, with the rest of the country. What are your thoughts on this game? Yeah, I think it's going to be closer than uh, what people think. I think the I think Vegas knows. They placed it at a two-and-a-half-point spread. So uh, they know something uh, as well as I that uh, UCLA beat this team two years ago. Uh, Chip Kelly is very comfortable with battling against Clay Helton and this USC team. Uh, they have to feel pretty good. It is easily argued that UCLA could be 4-0 right now as it is to argue that USC could be 2-2 two two right now. So easy. UCLA turned it over four times in the first quarter to, to Colorado and almost came back and won. And then if it weren't for some, you know, you know, mistake at the end of the first half against Oregon, they may win that game as well. So, like I said, they could very well be four and well owe themselves. I think this is a tight game. I think it's physical. I think that the defense for USC is playing much better. Uh, DTR has, has won this game before. Uh, he knows how to get it done. I think USC squeaks it out just by the hair of their chinny-chin-chin, 35-32 on a field goal to win it. Which is a cover, so we're in agreement. <laughs> barely, barely in agreement. Um, all right, let's move on here then to the Pac-12 after dark games on ESPNU, Stanford, Oregon State. Stanford is a three-point favorite. This is the game I think I have the most trouble with, and we'll get to that Cal-Washington State game here in a second because this is sort of like – Cal is going to be coming off their high against Oregon. Washington State got blown up by USC, but they have some offensive pieces I think could be interesting. But, but we'll get to that. Um, I, I'm not exactly sure. Now, Tristan Jebbia, it came out today that he had successful hamstring surgery, but it's going to be a, a long-term recovery for him, which means that he will be out. Jamar Jefferson, though, he's ready to go. And I think that he's enough of a difference maker to get Oregon State not only to compete in this game because they've been in every single game that they've played. Now, if they didn't get that onside kick last week, it wouldn't have been the same story. But I, I think that having him on the field injects something into this offense, and I think it motivates the defense. And I think they win this thing. And I, so I'm taking Oregon State the plus three. I'm giving them the victory at home against Stanford, even though Stanford has had the entire week to prepare in Corvallis. Um, and they're coming off of a very nice win against Washington last week. Yeah, I, I, I the, the quarterbacking position for me is, is a lot. Nolan Nolan looked lost out there against Utah, and they still found a way to fight and, and, and stay with it. So uh, I think Jonathan Smith has his team ready to play. I just think when it's all said and done, after Stanford being on the road for, what, four consecutive weeks it might be, that we may see uh, a Stanford team if they would have had a full offseason, uh, Davis Mills having a full fall camp. We may see one of the best teams in the Pac-12 uh, when the Stanford season is up and over. So I, I think Stanford dominates this game like they did against Washington early on. I think they find a way to cover definitely the minus three. Uh, I'm, I'm going uh, uh, Stanford 31-17. All right. So this is our one disagreement so far, but we have another game to discuss um, because, again, I'm a big Jonathan Smith believer. And eventually when a team gets so close, when you, you, know, you fail, you fail, you try again, eventually I, just, I have some faith in this Oregon State team. We'll see, though. Um, so you have Stanford dominating. I have Oregon State covering the plus three. The other 730 game on Fox Sports won Washington State, one and two. Cal, one and three. 
Cal's longest play of the season, an 18-yard touchdown against Oregon last week. Yet they won, and Chase Garbers looked a little bit more cerebral. The defense clamped down, and they, they walked away with a victory last year against Oregon, or last year, excuse me, last week against Oregon. The Justin Wilcox plan is always in place against the Ducks, um, and I think they're going to ride that motivation to Pullman, uh, and it's going to be interesting. I think that Washington State has the pieces, not, but I don't think that they're quite there yet, and, and I think that Delora is going to be really good. I don't think that it's going to be in this game, though. So I give Cal a victory here. It's a two-and-a-half-point spread. I think they probably win by six, two field goals, maybe a touchdown is where I see them at the end of this game. Yeah, I, I expect to, to see maybe some developmental stuff with Washington State in this game. Max Borgie, I'm hearing, may get the go, finally, after a back issue, having not played once this year. I thought he was going to be a big difference maker in this new offense, this run and shoot of Nick Rolovich's. Jaden DeLora, uh, I've seen him decline since that first game. Uh, Oregon, he was better even throughout, but he just couldn't make the plays they needed to. He seems overwhelmed at times. He was bum-rushed by USC early on in that game, and it presented problems. We got to see Gunnar Cruz and Cam Cooper in that game. I would not be surprised if we see all three of them again in this game versus Cal to see what this development will be because – those two quarterbacks sat in an air raid offense for years and had to really be retaught the fundamentals of playing the quarterback position, especially in a run and shoot offense. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see a bunch of quarterbacks playing in this game uh, and, and utilizing Max Borgie. Uh, defensively is where the problem has been for, for Washington State. They, they, when, when USC let the dogs off uh, in that second half, they looked better. They fought. I'll give them credit for it because an old USC team, a USC team like with Matt with Mark Sanchez and Matt Leinert, and that game would have been 69-70 nothing, uh, not 45-13, to 13, and how it ended. So I, I don't know if they have the, the matchups uh, quite yet in Coach Dickert's defense. Uh, offensively, I think they can, they can keep up, but Justin Wilcox is going to have that defense playing, playing well. So uh, unfortunately, for the second week in a row, I'm going to have to go against my Cougs, and I think Cal covers the two-and-a-half-point spread and, and, and wins the finale of the year before championship week. Long week of Pac-12 football ahead. I'll recap the lines for you. So Ryan and I actually agree on all but one. And he's beaten me basically every week. Um, not basically. He beat not, me not every basically. week. Not basically. Not basically. Except yes. I won the one matchup that mattered in my mind, and that was the Oregon-Washington State one. But you, you swept me, man, last week. And that does not feel very good. So Oregon State, I'm putting all my eggs in this basket this week. I'm praying to you, Jonathan Smith and Jamar Jefferson, to run all over Stanford and get me a victory. But uh, a quick recap here. We both have Arizona State winning, but Arizona covering the 11.5 point spread on Friday. We both have USC beating UCLA. It's going to be a little bit closer, but covering the 2.5 point spread. We both have Colorado covering the two-point spread against Utah. And uh, you have Stanford dominating Oregon State. I have Oregon State pulling it out um, and or covering the plus three spread. And then we both have Cal covering the two and a half points against Washington State on Saturday night. All right, before we sign off here, Ryan, let's go over some of the national games. What are you looking for this week? Well, of course, you know, we got we to pay attention to uh, uh, the, Ma the Mountain West um, just because of where we live and, and, and the teams I paid attention to. And I covered a lot of their games last year, Nevada. Nevada inexplicably went to Hawaii two weeks ago undefeated. Uh, after just beating San Diego State with having a heck of a year by Carson Strong. And they, they went and lost at Hawaii. And then you watch San Jose State, who's got moved out of their home 
uh, just like Stanford has. And they went and essentially played uh, what was considered a home game in Hawaii and dominated uh, a warrior a warrior team. I want to see this game. It's tomorrow night, Nevada versus San Jose State. They've moved it to Sam Boyd Stadium in Las Vegas to get it played. These are the two top teams in the Mountain West. Um, probably will will present your champion with the winner of this game. That's a big one for me. I want to see Alabama-Arkansas. Arkansas has put up a fight all year long everywhere they played. Let's see how they do against the best in the country. That's going to be a big question. The other one is Georgia-Missouri. Missouri enters the top 25. Finally, they found a way to get it done late against Arkansas last week. And I think Georgia has just got awful this year. I, I think, you know, whatever, JT Daniels has had a couple good games. But, you know, for all the talent that they have, I just – I don't think Georgia is really a, a team to worry about this year. So I, I think Missouri wins that game at home. Um, and that's – you know, that's about it. Everything else – I was looking forward to the A&M uh, Ole Miss game, but that one's out. North Carolina, Miami. Miami has a chance here, right? They've continued to be in the top 10. They've only lost the one game. Everybody's talking about this team like, you know, they're, they're the end-all, be-all. And I, I just I – don't, I don't see it. I haven't seen it. Now, if they hand a North Carolina team uh, a loss, I'll give them a little bit more credit, but that would be North Carolina's fourth loss. They've lost to Florida State and Virginia on top of the, the Notre Dame game. So, But I, I'm interested in, in that game. Uh, Florida, can they dominate LSU the way that Alabama did? That will give us a better idea if they're going to be competitive in the SEC championship. So I'm looking forward to those games. Uh, San Diego State at BYU. San Diego State's pretty good defensively. Uh, BYU is licking their wounds because they're all American quarterback uh, and, and team and offense that would put up 45-plus points, go down and get shut, shut down to 17-3 in the second half against the Coastal Carolina team. So those are the main national games I'm looking forward to. Love to see uh, Oklahoma throw their hat in the mix with, uh, with somebody out there if, if it can get done. If not, uh, then I'm excited to see those national games. You mentioned the Mountain West. Uh, Pac-12 fans can take a breath of fresh air or a sigh of relief, rather, because there were a lot of reports that Graham Harrell, the offensive coordinator at USC, was going to be the next up at Utah State. But today it was announced that Blake Anderson from Arkansas State would actually take over at home for Utah State. So, so far, Graham Harrell staying put um, at, uh, at USC as the offensive coordinator. I agree. I think all those games are, are, are right on the nose. Just a point here. Uh, Coastal Carolina is playing Troy. If you go back and you look at the opening, the coaches poll for the Sun Belt, Coastal Carolina was picked to finish last. Troy was picked to finish third, and they actually had a first place vote. Now the Troy Trojans are 5-5, five and five, but Coastal Carolina is 10-0 and 13th in the country in the college football playoff committee's eyes. Um, a question for you here, Ryan, actually, because a lot of people are talking about um, the coaching carousel in the NFL. And Marvin Lewis has been a name that's been coming up. Now Marvin Lewis has something good going down in Tempe. Do you expect him to potentially, I'm sure he's going to get looks by some of these NFL teams, obviously, maybe New York Giants, they have New York Giants, New York Jets um, have a defensive coordinator opening Anthony Lynn. His job security is up in there right now with the Chargers. There's a bunch of opportunities, not a bunch, but it looks like there might be some opportunities. Do you think that there's a chance that Marvin Lewis ends his tenure in Tempe and we see him back at the NFL level? Yeah, I mean, he was a, he was a consultant really with Herm until um, until his uh, defensive coordinator Danny Gonzalez took the job at New Mexico. So, uh, you know, it brought him out of it brought him out of retirement a little bit. And uh, yeah, I definitely if you, if you're a if you're a pro organization out there, 
and you want a competent head coach that can get you wins and get you to the playoffs and give you a chance, just look what his tenure was like in Cincinnati. That team systematically is a poor organization, and he got his teams to the playoffs annually. So, yeah, if, if there's a shot opening, he'll interview well. He'll show you how it's done. He's had a ton of success in that league. Uh, so, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me a lot. There's a lot of up-and-comers on the offensive side of the football, though. Uh, Eric Bieniemy in, in Kansas City. Uh, you have Joe Brady down in North Carolina, down in Charlotte, even after one year. What he's doing is inventive. I wouldn't be surprised if, if some teams that are looking for youth at the, the head coaching position uh, take a look at him when the season's over. So it may be more difficult for a defensive-minded coach, but a lot of times the head coach just needs to get in there, hire a great offensive coordinator, uh, and do what he does, and that's micromanage everything and do a really good job of it. So it wouldn't surprise me at all. Oh, we're really going down a rabbit hole here because you keep bringing up things that I want to ask you really quickly here. Okay, so LSU, reigning national champs. The decline has been epic for Coach O at LSU. They announced full sanctions this year through 2021. We're going to hear a much bigger report in February. They're getting opt-outs. They're getting players transferring. Um, as of today, they are no longer in the running for Corey Foreman, the number one overall recruit in the nation, who I'm telling you folks, on January 5th, when he commits, he's committing to USC. Um, you, you did hear it here first, and I am correct on that statement. Um, with that all being said, I'm not speculating that Coach O is out, but you mentioned Joe Brady. Is there a chance that he comes back and takes over at LSU if Coach O is indeed done? If they can find reasons. If they can find reasons. And I, I don't know. LSU administrators and fans love Coach O because of last year, his personality, all of it. But there are some troubling accusations that went on during his his tenure there and in this day and age in this culture if any of them hold to be true and he's lost systematic control uh, covered things up there's very well he could be out um them them personally self-imposing a a bowl ban is kind of like me self-imposing a ban on cookies for christmas since i've been on a <laughs> diet for six months right it's it's not it's not a it's not a huge uh, penalty at all. So um, we'll wait to hear the facts because, of course, I'm one. I, I'm not going to pass judgment until we know the truth about what's gone on. But it wouldn't surprise me at all if he's forced out. It, it may not be by what people want. It may be what is needed because of the situation, of course. And then Joe Brady is the the optimal guy to think of in terms of how he alone offensively changed the dynamics there on the bayou yeah crazy stuff happening down in baton rouge uh that that investigative report set to be released in february but uh that wraps it up i think this was a long long fantastic episode full of great nuggets obviously broke down the pac-12 as well as some national stuff ryan um what what are you going what's been going on you've been doing some rounds on podcasts you're all over sirius xm uh where can our loyal listeners find you in the upcoming days yeah, just continue SiriusXM, Channel 373 on the Pac-12, and then, of course, uh, uh, Channel 84, which is ESPNU. I, I do the Tuesday night rankings release show uh, every Tuesday with Reese Davis. He comes on live, and, and, and just like he does on TV, releases the rankings on our, on our show live, and then we, we talk about it for, for three hours, and it's, it, it makes for a great show. We discuss what the committee's making decisions about, why they're doing it. We talk to a bunch of great beat writers and columnists all over the country about what just transpired uh, and, uh, and you and I here on the Believe Podcast Network doing uh, Believe in the Pac-12. We got a couple more weeks left probably uh, of this truncated season, but uh, we've had a blast doing it. 
Absolutely couldn't enjoy it more than this moment right now. And everybody, make sure to tune in on Monday when we are back. Jason Fitz, ESPN's finest, will be joining us along uh, with all the great content. We'll recap this upcoming week's games. And then next Thursday, of course, we'll get you ready for championship week in the Pac-12 and then across the country. But for Ryan Leaf, my name is Jonathan Rifkin. Please hit that rate, review, and subscribe button. We'll talk to you on Monday right here on Believe in the Pac-12 on the Believe Podcast Network. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Save big money at Menards. Let the fresh air in and keep the bugs out with replacement screen for your doors and windows from AdForce. It's easy to install, durable against the elements, and comes in a variety of types to suit your needs. Repair your screens today with a roll of replacement screen on sale through May 5th. And check out more great deals happening now in our weekly flyer on Menards.com. Save